Welcome to Paranormal Almanac with your host, Kurt Sandvik. That's right. I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and on this edition of Paranormal Almanac, let's do some good old-fashioned ghost stories. That's right. Let's get back to the paranormal. But first, we have shout-outs. Don't skip ahead. Listen to these people. These people make the show. I mean, well, technically, I make the show, but these people make me make the show. You know what I'm saying. Shout-outs to Brenda. Hey, howdy, hi. Make sure you send me your email. Of your, uh, Make sure you email me is what I'm trying to say. Uh, your size and style of shirt that you would like from T Public because you are a top tier patron. Richard, hey howdy hi, Logan, Lori, again same thing. Send me an email size, you know, yeah, you know what I'm saying. Alec, Roger Funk, Karen Duran, Nikki loves James, Lori, Alicia, Rebecca, and Stephen Share. Hey howdy hi, Jennifer, Heather G, your festive neighborhood skinwalker. Zuzus, what's it? Nico Share in the mouse. Hey, howdy, hi. Mark and Tina, Tortuga, Mike from Jersey, Jay Bizzle, Andy, Tracy. Hey, howdy, hi. Come on up. Come on up, Rum. There we go. Rum, Rum's getting in the show early today. Virginia Mailman, Tony the Magician. I want more magic tricks. Jason, Vicky, Crow, Clay, Buzz, Libido Works, Glacier Vane, Isabel, Jen Jen, Stacy, Amber, Tracy, Kelly Joe, Menace the Beast, Kick Ass Magic, Robot Webcomic. Sandy, Paige, Kausch, Scott, Andrea, Melody, Vanessa, Marisol, Liam, Becca, Jake, Charlotte, and the Beasties, Elizabeth, Sherry, Art Muffin, Tim, Kenneth, Ricky, Ricardo. Hey, howdy hi to Tim for sure. He's going to be on a show coming up. He said he would, so I'm just, you know, I'm going to make it happen. Ricky, Ricardo, Alexandra, George, Zozo the Demon. Hayden, Cindy, Ashley, Carrie, Robin, Will, Lauren, Russell, Isabel, Audra, Dorian, Cindy, Paula, Jerry, Jeff, T, Joe, Lawrence, Melissa, the Lauren Strawn. Hey, howdy, hi, Veronica. Oh, and Lauren, thank you for not, uh, thank you for supporting me for wanting to go to bed early last night. My back's been killing me a lot lately. So by like six o'clock last night, I was like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to record the episode now. I just want to go to bed. So I put on Facebook, like, what, how's too early? What, what, what is too early to go to bed, basically? And everybody was like, just go to bed, dude. I'm like, okay, thank God. Uh, Veronica, Autumn, J-Mark, Manning, Carolyn, eagerly waiting for the 300th episode. Also, send me email, size, style. Uh, yeah, as am I. It's coming up quick. I mean, it's coming up real quick. I've actually started preparing for that. I'll talk about that in a second. Jade Nanashi, Dot Jamie and Elijah Hendrickson, Dan, Laura Pitts, and GamerFan. Thank you, thank you, thank you to every one of you. I seriously, 100%, wholeheartedly cannot thank you enough. Uh, special shout-outs to Joe Teague and to Stitch, as always. And special shout-out to Holden Yeager, again, the amazing composer of, the, of this year's Paranormal Almanac theme. There was a lot of people that seemed to like that idea about every year there'd be another Paranormal Almanac theme. 
Get to work, people. Start it up. Oh, speaking of the 300th, I'm going to need a 300th episode. A 300th episode? I'm going to need a 300th episode theme, please. Uh, I'm going to need a theme for the 300th episode. So, uh, paranormalalmanac at gmail.com. Go crazy. I want it to be cinematic. I, I don't know how long the 300th episode is going to be. I don't think I can double the length of the 200th episode because that one just about killed me and killed you guys. There wasn't like one person that listened to it in one sitting as far as I'm aware. From everything I've heard, people were like, yeah, I listened to it in like 17 chunks because it was like nine hours long. Um, but don't worry. The 300th episode will be longer, but I'm going to break it up. Like maybe part one, part two, part three, part four. I don't know. It's 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 still, but it is in the works. Like I said, like I was saying in the in the shout outs. And if you skipped ahead in the shout outs, you just missed me saying some stuff. So stop it. Um, I've already started working on the 300th episode. I've already got some stuff in the works for the 300th episode. And it is rapidly approaching. It doesn't seem like it is, but boy, howdy, is it rapidly approaching where I'm like, I got to start really getting guests and working on it. I, I'm, I'm shooting for the moon. I'm not saying he's going to be on there, but I'm, I'm, I'm sending out emails to Jeremy Corbell and, and uh, George Knapp. And, you know, any, any person that you've heard of in the paranormal community, I'm sending out emails to them to desperately, please, please join me for the grand 300th episode but I also want to bring back some fan favorites. Fishboy. I definitely want to bring him back because I love that guy. He's the best. Um, the band, that is. Um, there's there's going to be a bunch of fan favorites. I don't know whom. Uh, I know that, obviously, Todd and Elijah will probably be on the episode. Well, I'm going to say yes for them. They're going to be on the episode. Um, but there's going to be a bunch of people on the episode. I really want to go back to some previous guests that I really liked. I've been trying to get Jenny Pugh back on the show, and it's just fizzled out. So hopefully that'll come to be because I would like that. Uh, I'd like Mac to do another tarot reading. I think that would be a lot of fun. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I don't know. I, I gotta say, I'm really angry at myself, uh, for the, for the predictions episode I did for 2024. I jokingly was going to throw in and the lions are going to go into the super bowl. I swear, I swear to God I did because they were having such a good season. I was like, well, that's a that's a dumb one. They've never been in a Super Bowl um, yet. Um, and, you know, they're, they're doing well enough. They don't need me to jinx it. So uh, I didn't put it on there. And now, like, what is it, tomorrow? They're in the, like, a playoff game or some shit? I don't know. Sports. Um, but, yeah, all I'm saying is that, uh, you know, there's stuff that I should have put on there that I would have, like, swept up. I would have blown people's minds had I included everything I wanted to include. But I didn't. So, you know, I'm not ret I'm not retconning and saying I did. I'm saying I was going to, but I didn't. So it doesn't count. Let's get right into paranormal news, shall we? That's right. I love that one, man. I love that. Um, the first story in paranormal news, comedian Dom Jolie, who I've reached out to as well, reveals what happened when he took a flat earther to the edge of the earth. Yes, please. And thank you. And look, 
I, I, before I even get in this article, I want to do this as well. I want to take a bunch of flat earthers to the edge of the earth. And if they're right and there is an edge of the earth, I will go, huh, what do you know? You're right. And then I'm going to push them the fuck off the edge of the earth because I cannot stand flat earthers. They are taking over every, you know, Facebook article. And if it even says like someone says like, oh, I went around the world. They'd be like, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. World's not around. I hate, I cannot stand these morons. The earth is round, people. There's not a chance in hell that the earth is flat. Get over your dumb selves. You are not smarter than a fifth grader. Uh, let's see. It says, you've probably seen conspiracy theorists. I'm sure that like five people are like, whoa, fuck this show then and turned me off. And I'm totally fine with that. Uh, it says, you've probably seen conspiracy theorists online, but have you ever encountered one in real life? Well, Dom Jolie has. In fact... The comedian and trigger-happy TV star has has had run-ins with a number of people who believe all sorts of conspiracy theories. From hidden tunnels under airports. Eh, Kurt here. I don't know if that's a... That that conspiracy theory is still out there. Because there is a something to the Denver airport. And then it goes on to say some of the other uh, conspiracy theories he's tried to debunk. But... Come up here. Come on up, bro. Hi, sweetheart. He says, as he continues to... (laughs) Hi, beautiful. I'm trying to record. Thank you. I love you, too. As he continues to pursue his love of travel, he actually went looking for people who believe conspiracies to help form the basis of his latest book, The Conspiracy Tourist. All righty, let uh, let's, let's hear from him straight ahead. I don't know if this is... Yeah, it's going to go to an ad. Um, he decided to travel the globe to confront some of the wildest conspiracies out there, telling, the, uh, telling this website, I think it was mainly due with the lockdown. People went a bit crazy, yep, and went down algorithm rabbit holes, yep, and started to have some really weird ideas. All right, here we go. Well, well the conspiracies used to be fun. You know, they used to be funny. Yes. Like, did we land on the moon like Bigfoot? Is Elvis alive and working in a chip shop? Yeah. And now it seemed that conspiracies were becoming a bit more dangerous, a bit more... Um, people believed them to an extent which was quite frightening, and they were having real-life effects with things like COVID. I don't care if you take the vaccine. It's your problem. But when you deny that COVID exists... Yeah. And someone I know was in hospital. That's kind of crazy. And then people like Donald Trump's spokesperson, Kellyanne Conway, saying, talking about alternative facts. And you go, when did facts become alternative? Like truth became changed. This isn't so me. This is him. So part of me thought, this is weird. Like this is really starting to change the way we think about what's real and what isn't. But more importantly, because all these things were online, I was thinking, are these people just doing it for clicks? Yeah. Or do they really believe it? So what I really want to do right in the book was meet people, look them in the eye and go, come on, tell me you think the earth is flat. Yeah. And they did. I, <laughs> I, I don't want to sound like an elitist lizard, but I've met a lot of people in power, politicians, important people. And, you know, overall, they're not massively impressive people. They can't even run a parking system or get the trains to run on time. So the idea that they're running some sort of satanic global tunnel conspiracy, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm completely naive, but I'm not. I think the weirdest one... I think the weirdest one just has to be flat earth because it's just, it's, it's so crazy. It just literally, I could just get a flat earther. I, I fly a hot air balloon. Let's just get in my hot air balloon, yeah. go up and we'll solve it. But you know that they wouldn't agree with that. And yeah. I ended up taking a, not a round flat earther, a square flat earther who believe there are four corners of the earth. Right. And one of those is an island called Fogo in Newfoundland. So I took one of them on a road trip to the edge of the earth. And we looked off this cliff and there was no drop. And then he made me get in a boat, a fishing boat, and go out. And then he accused the 
fishermen are going around in circles and being paid by Bill Gates. And it was like, what is wrong with you? But it was still kind of funny because it. <laughs> I mean, that is kind of funny. But seriously, stop it. The earth is round. Seriously, stop it. Um, so, yeah, that's this guy. I want to get him on the show. I, I know that he thinks that a lot of the stuff that I talk about here is just as batshit crazy and fair enough and good on him. But I agree wholeheartedly. You've heard me say this wholeheartedly. The conspiracy theories used to be fun. I used to love talking about them. And now if I'm in a bar and someone goes, I got this conspiracy theory, I immediately know it's going to be the worst of the worst. And it's going to be something about like pedophiles and child's blood or some bullshit. And I'm like, no, thank you. I just want to have a drink. And look, you want to tell me about your Bigfoot experience? I'll listen. But otherwise, leave me the fuck alone. So, yeah, good on him. I really like that guy. Hopefully, like I said, I, I, I reached out to him a couple of different ways. I have not heard back. I would love to have him on the 300th episode because I think it'd be good fun. Already up next in paranormal news, Camper's slow motion video captures fast-moving UFO zip across the sky. I've not watched it yet. I'm very excited to see it, but it comes out of Argentina uh, the local newspaper says that um, it was filmed earlier this month at a campground in the coastal community of Bariloche, 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 probably. While playing a game of volleyball, they set up a cell phone to film one of the campers hitting the ball with their head in slow motion. When they later took a look at the video, the group was astounded to see something rather unusual that appeared in the sky behind them. All right, I'm very excited. Whatever you do. No, whatever I do, I'll tell you what I do. I want to watch this video about a UFO. There we go. All righty. Slow motion video, guy. Oh, shit. Hold on. I got to rewind that. All right, so it's slow. Huh, interesting. It's only like nine seconds into the video, but not even five seconds into the video. Yeah, they're not wrong. There's a very, very slow motion video of a guy trying to, you know, like attempting to jump up and hit the ball with his head, and something books past him, like real fast. To the point where, how fast was this thing going in full speed? I don't know what to think of this one, but it is it, it is intriguing. It's not a bird. The bird wouldn't be flying that fast. So, what do you think of this video? That's right. Posting it right now to the Facebook fan page. Interesting. I don't know what to think of it, but I do know that I'm going to keep moving on because time's a burning here. So, up next in Paranormal News... The latest Loch Ness Monster sighting. Not a monster. Spoiler, it's not the color you think it is. I don't... It's not... It's. I think it's brown. All right, let's see what this says. Jared Strong was close to the castle on the banks of the loch near In Inverness, Scotland, when he says he spotted the mysterious monster. Kurt, you're not a monster. However, although being surprised at the sight of Old Nessie, he reveals the thing that shocked him the most. It wasn't green. It's not green. It's like brown. He said, I was near the castle with my family about 1 p.m. when I noticed a little movement in the water. Then the water started to move a bit more and a long shape came out of the water. It wasn't the green, which I thought it would be. It was more of a dark gray color. Yeah, I could see that. Then it quickly went away again. But as it was going back under the water, I could see a longer body. The sighting lasted about four to five seconds as the creature, and the creature was spotted right in the middle of the lock, but um, it all happened so quickly he was unable to take a photo. The incident has been reported to the official Loch Ness Monster Sightings Register, which Owen O'Fadigan should be the president of at this point. Um, 
And it's been the registers registry is ma- the register is managed by Nessie expert Gary Campbell, who Kurt here. I still apologize profusely. I asked him to please be on the show. I thought we had agreed to a Saturday, or I thought we agreed to a Sunday, not a Saturday. And apparently, we agreed to a Saturday. And he waited for me for 10, 15 minutes, and then left. So I feel I still feel bad. One day, I'd love to have him on the show. Um, but yeah, so another Nessie sighting, not Owen O'Farrigan, not Owen O'Farrigan, sorry, Owen O'Farrigan, not Owen, but another guy. And yeah, I didn't expect him to be green. I thought he was going to be brown, but gray I could see as well. Up next in paranormal news, Argentine Loch Ness Monster, Kurt here, not a monster, spotted in lake as tourists catch a glimpse of black humps. A pair of tourists have claimed to have spotted the beast dubbed the Argentine Nessie in a lake. Uh, known as... No, no, Walito? Sure. It was first seen in the waters over 100 years ago. Um, creature is similar to the size and appearance of Nessie. Uh, let's keep, come on, give me get to the thing. Here we go. The two friends claim they saw no, Nahualito? I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm butchering that. During a kayaking trip on Sunday, they were enjoying the sunset by the lake when they saw something unusual in the water. One of the witnesses, named Manuel, told the local media... We suddenly noticed something in the lake, and we started filming it. We kept a safe distance, so we didn't know what it was, but it was very big and moving quickly. Soon afterwards, it submerged, and we didn't see it again. The uh, photo or the video of the Argentine Nessie, it does look like something's in the water. It's a very, it's just one of those, like, uh, it's the wake of the water itself, not actually the mount, the monster, not a monster. Um, so, yeah, I don't know what to make of it, but uh, I don't know. Just Google Argentine Nessie. You'll see it. I don't need to throw that up there as well. Let's keep moving on. Up next in paranormal news, Pentagon X. Oh, go away. Go away, way. Pentagon X UFO chief says conspiracy theorists in government are driving spending. That's right. Sean Kirkpatrick, the first director of the All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, blames core group of government workers. He uh, made the claim in a podcast this week after stepping down last month as the first director of. Arrow. It was set up in 2022 to collate uh, military reports of UAPs. He is saying, let's see, he says they're only too happy to embrace unsubstantiated stories circulated by a core group of people about secret government UFO research programs. Those include startling claims from David Grush, as you know. They're some of the same people that have been working behind the scenes with Congress to write legislation. The same people that worked with the U.S. company and the U.S. Army to explore a piece of material that they claimed was a UAP and really is a piece of a missile casing from the 1950s. They're the same people that have been influencing some of the whistleblowers who have come forward to say, hey, I don't have any firsthand evidence, but all these people are telling me X, Y, and Z. He said this is a self-licking ice cream cone. Exactly. The best thing that could have happened in this job I found if is if I found the aliens and I could have rolled them out, and, but there's none. There is no evidence of extraterrestrials. There is no evidence of aliens, and there's no evidence of the government conspiracy. Well, then maybe you shouldn't be running it because all the evidence is contrary to what you're saying. David Grush didn't say, hey, some people told me about this. He saw stuff. So I'm glad that guy stepped down because obviously he's not the correct person for it. Up next in Paranormal News... Um, this is just cool as hell. If you look up Julian's auction, they're doing a NASA and space auction, and one of the items up for sale in the auction are Project Blue Book actual files that, uh, spoiler, that Kurt here can't afford. Like, it's ridiculous how quick, how how fast the thing went up. Uh-oh. Is it gone? 
It was just there last night. What are you talking about? What happened? Hold on. I'm 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 on the Julian's website. I wanted to show you what it was up what the amount was up to already. What's going on with this? Oh. No, no, this isn't isn't for sale. It didn't complete yet. Why is it not showing a number a, a price yet? All right, something's up with this one then. Interesting. I don't know. Did this end? No, it's February 1st, 11 a.m. I don't know what's going on with their website now, but um, the Project Blue Book, the last I saw it was up to $800. They expected it to go from $100 to $200. It's four file folders, basically. And it says Project Blue Book, March 1967, a group of four informational packets relating to Project Blue Book, the United States Air Force systemized study of identifying unidentified flying objects, including one folder of descriptions and comments on various sightings and three stapled information packets from 67 to 68 describing the program and its objectives. Incredibly cool. If I win the lotto between now and February 1st, I'm buying it. I'm going to outbid who I'm, I'm, I can only assume is Jeremy Corbell. Um, but yeah, you can just look up the uh, the Julian's auction and you can find it pretty quick in the search. Just type in Project Blue Book. But uh, right now, there is no amount. So there's something up with their website. But it was last, I, like I said, last I saw, I think it was up to $800. But still, incredibly cool. Alrighty, up next in Paranormal News, here's what I learned at the U.S. government's UFO hunter as the U.S. government's UFO hunter. A forthcoming investigational report from an office of the Pentagon has found no evidence of aliens, only allegations circulated repeatedly by UFO claim advocates. Once again, it's that same guy. I just wanted to do that, that headline. I don't have to read the whole story. It's very similar to the story I just said, but I'm glad that guy stepped down. But um, he is going everywhere staying, saying flat out there is no evidence of UFOs, which is, like I said, completely contrary to everything that everybody else has been saying. So, the government for you. Up next, Bigfoot, Sasquatch? Nope, probably just a black bear, unless you live in Florida. That's right, this article says, a new study published January 13th in the Journal of Zoology found that for every 5,000 black bears, there's an average of one Bigfoot or Sasquatch sighting. And if the bear numbers go up, so do the number of Bigfoot sightings. That makes sense to me. I'm not surprised by that. I don't really have to go any deeper with that one. Um, yeah. You ever seen a black bear stand up? They're huge. I can see why some people think that they're seeing a Sasquatch when they're seeing a big uh, a bear, a black bear. But not in Florida because there are no black bears in Florida. All righty, up next. Bloke records Bigfoot roar in chilling video before legging it from the florist. From the florist? From the from the forest. Oh, it's going to be a fun episode. A man reckons he might have captured Bigfoot roaring on video in two separate clips shared to Reddit this week, and some people are convinced it's the real thing. All righty, I want to get to it, though. And this took me a minute last time as well. All righty, click it there. And click there. I should have had that prepared, but I'm not that professional. Okay. Oh, you son of a Bigfoot roar Reddit. Fine, I'll do it that way. I can do that. Here we go. Oh, it's going to be a commercial. Nope, it's not. 
All right. This is the worst video ever. Um, I'll try and find it for next week's episode because I don't want to keep wasting time. Uh, I want to get I want to get into this episode. It's already 24 minutes. Oh, before I get in the episode, um, all t-shirts are on sale right now. The T Public let me know that they're having a sale. So head on over to T Public slash stores slash paranormal dash almanac. That's tpublic.com slash stores with an S slash paranormal dash almanac. All shirts are on sale this weekend. Now's the time to buy them. There's some new styles out there too. So check them out if you want to support the show. That's the best way to do it besides Patreon. So I appreciate it. I don't make, um, I think I make like a dollar or two per shirt, but I'll be honest. I think it's awesome. I love seeing Paranormal Almanac shirts out in the wild. Now I am personally, besides like Todd and Jamie and Elijah, I haven't personally seen, oh no, I have. I've seen a couple more. I, I take that back. Up at Mentryville, I saw some. Um, but I would love to see, if you do buy some merch, I would love to see photos of you wearing your Paranormal Almanac merch because I think that's cool as hell. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. We are back. Kurt here. I'm going to be honest with you. This was a tough one. I actually started this episode three different ways, three different episodes, I should say, and I just couldn't get the through line for any of them. That's why there was like 10 days between the episodes because I'll start an episode, I'll do my outline, and if I can't really find the through line, I just set it aside. Now, I'll come back to it later on, and it seems like nine times out of 10, except for witches for some reason, Nine times out of 10, I can find the through line in the future. But I did it for three episodes. I was like, oh, I'll do an episode about this. No, I can't really. It's not grabbing me. Like, that's the other thing. If As I'm researching the episode, if I'm getting bored and I'm, like, shopping on Amazon or looking at houses I can't afford on Zillow, I go, okay, this isn't the time for this episode. So I'll put it aside and I'll come back to it later. Um, so I went to this one. I went to one that I know I know that I'm going to love doing. I love researching these. It's the old standby classic ghost stories, but my favorite kind of ghost stories, the ones that have been written about in old newspapers. I love that. I love, there's nothing better to me than going through old newspapers on newspaper.com and finding ghost stories and Bigfoot stories and paranormal stories and cryptid stories. I love that in the olden days, the newspapers wrote about ghost stories all year long instead of just like October, like nowadays, unless it's insanely crazy, cool story or Nessie or Bigfoot. For the most part, newspapers don't write about that stuff anymore. And it's a bummer because I don't care who you are. Ghost stories have always been the way that people pass the time. You know what I mean? Like they connected with others because, well, you know, just about everyone has a ghost story. It's the perfect way to share. Like I was talking about, you know, like when I'm hanging out at the bar and I'm wearing my my cryptid patched jacket, people will always be like, oh, that's cool jacket, man. I'm like, oh, thanks. Appreciate it, man. And they're like, hey, I had, uh, I saw a ghost a long time ago, or my grandma told me about a ghost a long time ago. Like people that don't even like to talk to strangers come up to me in bars to tell me Bigfoot stories or ghost stories. And like I said, it's not even, it might not even be their story. It might be their parents or their grandparents. The last one was at a bar in Highland Park. I was going to see a band called the Middle-Aged Jam Band. Middle-Aged Dad Jam Band, sorry. Fantastic band, by the way. Middle-Aged Dad Jam Band. Go see them if they come to your town. 
you'll enjoy the hell out of the show. But I was at a bar waiting for the show to start. I got there early and it was like across the street and this guy saw my patches and he was like, oh, that's cool jacket, man. I was like, hey, thanks, man. He's like, uh, you know, I, I, I got stabbed and I, I died on the table at, at the hospital and uh, I had near death experience. And I was like, holy shit, tell me all about it. It turns out that he works at the hospital as a nurse or something like that. Um, he works at the hospital. And he sees weird shit there all the time, like black shadows and everything. Every hospital seems to be haunted. And he said, yeah, this one was, you know, seriously haunted. But uh, he got stabbed by a rival rival gang member. He was a gang member when he was a kid or younger. He was still pretty much a kid. But when he was younger, he was a, a gang member. And that, um, that he died, he flatlined on the table. And he said that, you know, the same thing he could see above himself and he could see the doctors working on him. And then he was saying that uh, he saw the light. He didn't see any relatives or anything like that, but he was like, he just knew, like, yep, I got to go there. So he started to move towards the light, and that's where this thing stopped and, like, basically stepped in front of him as he was moving towards the light. This, this shadow stepped in front of him and pushed him back into his body. And he got out of, you know, thankfully, he stopped being a gang member and got his life together, became a nurse, and, yeah, it's crazy cool. I love that kind of stuff. But that's what I mean, like, no matter who you are, you're going to have a ghost story. Like I said, either you or your parents or your grandparents, somebody has told you a story about something weird they can't explain. And it usually starts with like, I don't believe in ghosts. And then they tell you the fucked up craziest ghost story. But for this one, let's go back to 1929 from the Salt Lake Te Telegram, Salt Lake Telegram in Utah. It's actually to the fall of 1929 when a group of boys in Provo, Utah were walking when a ghost popped out from behind the bushes. Look, Kurt here. Michael Myers, yeah, he'll pop out from behind bushes, but never a ghost. I've never heard a story where a ghost pops out from behind a bush. Like, ghosts coming through a bush? Like, you know, like reverse Homer Simpson? Sure, I could see that. But popping out from behind a bush? Anyhow. So yeah, this ghost pops out from behind the bushes, and to, I think, everyone's surprise, the kids just start chucking rocks at it, just start whipping rocks at it. Now, they said the rocks did not harm the phantom. So I don't know if that means they went through the ghost, so yeah, that's a ghost. Or whoever was hiding under the sheet didn't say, ow, so they went, oh, it's not harming the phantom. But um, they ran away, and the ghost was never found. Yeah. That's that's the first. It's not it's not a great start. It's an okay start, but I need more ghost in my ghost stories. So I'm gonna immediately go on to the next one. We're gonna go to Ottawa all the way back to 1992. That's right, the 1900s. Now this may surprise some of you, but I was alive in the 1900s and thrived in 1992. I was living it up in the clubs of Detroit, all grunged out, loving life, but in nearby Ottawa. Oh, they weren't having so much fun. That's because Kathy Kane and her 10-year-old daughter, Kim, were living in apartment B on St. Laurent Boulevard. All right, Kurt here. I'm, I'm going to confess that I tried for a while to think of a don't trust the B in apartment. What is it? Like, don't trust the B in apartment B joke? Whatever that show was. I tried. Look, the point is I was trying to do a joke on these people living in apartment B with a ghost, but I couldn't, so... You know, feel free to make your own joke at this time. I'll give you a couple of seconds. Hold on. Don't don't start yet. Don't start yet. Start thinking of a don't trust the bee joke now. 
Okay. Did you think of one? If you thought of one and you were like, oh, shit, that's a really good joke, feel free to send it to me. But if you thought of one and you were like, no, it's kind of funny, but it's not the best joke ever, there you go. Congrats. You don't have to share that with me. Anyhow, according to the local paper, in the early hours one Saturday morning, something terrifying happened. First, they heard mysterious knocking sounds, which were coming from the back door. So Kathy said her, her daughter Kim, and her best friend Diana Sykali, sure, why not, Sykali, went to investigate the knocking, but no one was there. <laughs> I love how, hey, there's mysterious knockings at the back door. Hey, let's grab the 10-year-old and investigate. How about you just check it out yourself? You leave the 10-year-old, you go, hold on a second, this seems odd. I'm going to go grab a bat and I'm going to walk to the back door. Anyhow, then even though no one was there, the knocking turned to banging. Now, I assume she pushed the 10-year-old out the back door and gave her up as a sacrifice. Uh, let's keep on reading. Nope, nope, she didn't. Uh, they went back into the house, closed the door, when all of a sudden, pictures began to fall off the walls while plants tipped over all over the house. Still not ghostly enough for you? Well, how about this? She said the floor started to shake like there was an earthquake. It scared them so much, they actually called the police. And good on you, Ottawa police. The police actually showed up, and the activity continued. The police officers reported the banging, the floor continuously shaking, and a chair flipped over in one of the rooms. In fact, Staff Sergeant Andy Avery said he heard no voices but he could see what he but, but he heard no voices, but he could see what had generated the complaint. I don't know what that means. I'm going to keep on reading. The newspaper article says, in one instance, an officer replaced a vase on the table moments before it was sent soaring across the room. Searches of the house found no cause for the disturbances. The police closed the case, having never explained what occurred at the apartment that day. So he didn't really see what generated the complaint. And basically, they saw the same shit she did, and they were like, I don't know, I'm closing this case. Well, Kurt here, I can solve, I can explain what happened that day. And I bet a bunch of you regular listeners can too. Here's what you do. Let me, let me go back to the very beginning of this. Kathy Kane and her 10-year-old daughter, Kim, were living in the apartment B. You catch it? Yeah, that sounds like poltergeist activity. And yeah, there's a girl around puberty age in the house too. For you new listeners, there's a theory that I thought I came up with, but apparently I didn't. There's a theory out there that poltergeist activity can all be explained or connected, maybe not explained, but connected to typically younger girls around puberty age. There's something that happens around the puberty age where if they have some kind of I don't know, psychic connection or there's some kind of paranormal connection around that age where when the hormones start flaring up, so do poltergeist activity. So that's what it sounds like again on this one. This is just another one, another checkbox of, yep, 10-year-old girl, girl around puberty age, they have poltergeist activity. They all seem to be connected to young girls around puberty age. Anyhow, Kathy and her daughter promptly moved out of the apartment, saying they would never set foot in there again. Uh, here, let me actually read a couple of snippets from the actual article, because it's a really cool article. Woman flees haunted house, the Ottawa Citizen, Sunday, June 14, 1992. Police can't explain what rocked apartment early Saturday morning. They couldn't stop laughing about it over at the Bristol's bar. After all, it's not every day a ghost comes next door to visit. 
But when Kathy Kane's bones stopped rattling, she didn't think it was funny at all. Unexplained sounds, flying furniture, and trembling walls are not her idea of a good time. I'm not going to go back. If I go back there, if I go back there and it happens again, dot, dot, dot. So they say that nobody really knows what happened on 315 St. Laurent Boulevard at 5 o'clock Saturday morning. Um, the cops were stymied. Her landlord can't figure it out. The tombstones at the Beechwood Cemetery across the street aren't saying a word. Ha, ha, ha. Um, and then it goes on to say, you know, like it, it continues on to be like, it seems like it was a poltergeist. Astrologers are calling it a poltergeist, banging, shaking, possibly a chair flipping over. There are no voices, no goblins. We're not ghostbusters, you know, said staff Sergeant Andy Avery. Um, the officer searched high and low, but there was no final determination as to what caused the disturbance. But it took astrologers Marguerite Day and Walter Masters less than 60 seconds to identify the cause. It's obvious this is poltergeist activity. Maybe not very destructive, but very annoying. Yeah, I mean, I, it is obvious, but I wouldn't, you know, you can't just walk in there and 60 seconds ago, I solved it. No, you don't. It's a good theory. It's the same theory I have. And I, I pretty much agree with you, but uh, no, you didn't solve it. Alrighty, for this next one, let's go back to 1904. Kurt here. I was not alive in 1904, thankfully. My back hurts enough as it is. Uh, we go back to the May 2nd, 1904, or April 22nd, 1904, because I found both articles. And also, back to Salt Lake Tribune. That's right. That's when a Murray man said he encountered a ghost on his way to visit the home of a special lady friend. Ooh la la. Worried he'd be late. Kurt here, the dude was thinking with his dick. Uh, he took a shortcut across the cemetery. That's right. He cut a sh he did a shortcut through a cemetery at night because he was running late for his special lady friend. And that, rightfully so, is when he saw a sight that, quote, made his blood run cold. There he reported seeing an apparition of a snow-white child, about three to four years old, rise from the ground and above a tombstone. As he stared, the kid disappeared back into the ground, which, you know, is very convenient. So he did the smart thing, and he ran as fast as he could, I assume, over towards a special lady friend's house. And he said the ghost appeared to the man two more times, rising up. He would freeze and watch it. Then it would go back into the ground before vanishing for good. He told his special lady friend, and when they were done being special friends, he told the whole fucking town. He started coming out at night, or they all started coming out at night, hoping to see the ghost for themselves. But sadly, the little girl Snow White ghost never appeared again. Now, there was a quick um, turnabout in this story because it was possibly debunked until the debunk was debunked. I kept finding more article connected, articles connected to it, basically. So the Tribune report, it stated that the cemetery sexton, Robert Wright, said he was digging a grave that Wednesday night that needed to be ready the next morning, April 28th. The grave was half dug, Kurt here, that's three feet down, when he heard a noise, so he raised his head and looked around. It was dark, he couldn't see anything, he went back to digging. Now, he said this happened two more times, and on the third time, he saw a man running down the path as hard as he could. Yeah, sounds debunked, right? Until you kind of take it apart. He's three feet down. The guy's six feet tall. Three feet would have popped up. Okay, that's about child size, three to four-year-old child size. I get that. But 
this guy said he saw a snow white child girl ghost about three to four years old rise from the ground and above a tombstone so i checked they were regular tombstones they weren't the little grave markers that are flat on the ground they're full-size tombstones Full-size tombstone is about one to two feet tall, minimum. Three feet down, adding another two feet, that's five feet down. Unless this guy was seven or eight feet tall, it doesn't make sense. Then, a few days later, the Desert News took issue with the Tribune's reporting, stating that they investigated the claim, and Sexton Wright was, quote, not digging a grave that night, and no one was working on graves that night at all. Plus, they kind of said the same thing, that some random dude popping his head up, looking around, doesn't look anything like a little girl ghost. And if the guy saw her rise up and then go back down and then walked a bit, and then she did it again, you think it would be some dude's head he was seeing again and again? He, He said he walked, froze, saw the little girl ghost. She went back in the ground. He walked some more. Saw the little girl ghost. Was he walking towards her? No. It sounds like he was continually walking away and she kept popping out of the ground. So I guess I'm guessing dead girl ghost one and that guy getting some that night. Zero. That's right. I doubt if his blood ran cold, he was still frisky for his special lady friend. Anyhow, moving on. Let's go to a story published in the Jersey City News, December 17th, 1889. Wow, that's loud. Why did that get so loud? I don't know. 1889, and that's when, near the Morris Canal, there used to be an inn that overlooked the canal owned by John Cregan in Jersey City. The article says, The spook, spirit, or whatever it may be, first manifested itself to Mr. Cregan the night after he moved in. It's been paying nightly visits ever since. So it wrote that on uh, Saturday night, John had closed the inn, went to bed with his family, he said. They were fast asleep when a battering at the door woke up the entire household. John hurried down the stairs to find, nope, not a ghost, but he found a young guy named Denny Brown who was looking terrified. Denny was banging on the door, begging to be let in, so John lets him in because he was a regular customer. And uh, he's saying that he needs to get up early for work. So John just goes, yeah, come on in. Fuck it, I'm going to bed. And he had his wife come down to help Denny. So, you know, that, that checks out for 1889. The article says, After about an hour, Denny was finally overcoming his fear when a loud bang burst from behind the bar. As though all the spooks in creation were juggling the beer kegs and the water and the ale pipes were engaged in a wrestling bout match. I don't know. Mrs. Cregan was more than frightened. So was Denny, but neither had the courage to shout for more company. So they just... Freaked out alone by themselves, Denny left the next morning, never to return to the bar again, it says. Things quieted down until another night when John was closing up and dimming the gaslight when, quote, his face was grabbed as if held in a vice and then twisted until he thought it was broken. John offered up a prayer for courage and assistance, which was granted upon turning up the lights. Nothing unusual could be discovered. Everything was in place. John says he would not remain there five minutes if he could dispense of his five-year lease. While the thought of remaining there four more years almost makes him gray-headed, he said. The article said that uh, they knew who the ghost was, though. They, uh, They identified the ghost as a woman known as Scotch Mag, 
Scotch Mag, who had died at the location of John's Inn two years ago. She had died without anyone to attend her burial. Uh, the New Jersey City News reported, It's supposed that she liked the place so much that she returns every night. When not cutting capers in the barroom, the mysterious being is meandering up and down the parlors. That's cool. That's a way cool story. And here's what bums me out. I've been trying to find any more articles about Scotch Mag, any websites about Scotch Mag, a known ghost that, you know, grabbed that dude by the face, man. Couldn't find anything. Couldn't find any reputable sites with more, more, more Scotch Mag sightings, basically. Couldn't find anything. And it bums me out because, like I said, that's a cool one. The, the area is still there. I don't know if this bar is still there. It didn't give me enough information to check that out. All it said was that it was an inn near Morris Canal in Jersey City. But uh, still, any Jersey locals, if you know anything about Scotch Mag, please let me know because I like that one. All righty, what's up next? Uh, let's go up to this cool one. Um, just like any good Scooby-Doo episode, this this Paranormal Almanac episode would not be complete without a ghost in a mine. That's right. That's better. We go back to 1887 and the Sunday, November 27th, 1880, 1887 edition of the San Francisco Examiner. First, there's this bit about Bennett, this guy Bennett himself, Mr. Bennett. It said, Mr. Bennett is very truthful, and he and has feared no goblin or swart fairy of the mine. That's right. There's something called a swart fairy, apparently. Uh, let me read a little bit from the actual article itself. Mr. Bennett is well known to many persons in San Francisco, as well, in the, well as in this part of Nevada and in many of the mountain towns of California. He was for a number of years in the employees of Wells Fargo and Company and in the old staging days had charge as superintendent of all their horses and coaches and was much of the time traveling to and fro over their routes. He is a very tr truthful man, a Pacific Coast pioneer, and a man throughout his life has feared, quote, no evil thing that walks by night, in fog or fire, by lake or moorish fen, blue meager hag or stubborn, unlaid ghost, that breaks his magic chains at curfew time. No goblin or swart fairy of the mine. That guy's like a poet. That guy's cool. Anyhow, so they wanted to say, like, this guy is, you know, beyond reproach. He knows what he's talking about. He worked in Nevada's Yellow Jacket Mine, which uh, two, dec two decades earlier had a really deadly fire. And since the fire, uh, miners had told stories of unexplained sounds and sights in the mine, but Bennett was like, nope, I don't believe him. That is. Until the day he had to retrieve a pair of shovels from the empty 1,000 level. All right, the article says, Bennett found the shovels and was descending the ladder back to the 1,100 level when he heard footsteps. At first, he thought it was foreman Pete Langen. Pete Langen? Yeah, Pete Langen but Langen would have used a light and the footsteps were approaching from complete darkness. So he calls out to ask who it was. No one answers, but the footsteps were still coming closer. He said, suddenly the two shovels he was holding under his arm were quote, violently thrust forward and sent flying. They tumbled down the ladder way until they came to rest about 30 feet away. He said it was quote, chilling, sickening shock. So he scrambled up uh, the, the ladder back to the other workers 
And they all confirmed that no one was down there at the time and that Pete Langan was, had been above ground the whole time. They're like, he's right over there. He wasn't down there. Nobody else is down there. The article says Bennett, who was once, uh, who once, quote, went by himself through all parts of the mine with no thought of fear, refused to return to the haunted 1000 level ever again. Yeah, ghost mine. All right, up next is another cool one. We go back to Jersey. To the Jersey City News on March, tw- March 28th, 1902. The article starts with this amazing headline. There is a new kind of ghost in, Hobo- in Hoboken. That's right, there is a new kind of ghost in Hoboken. A jet black ghost was seen destroying trees at Stevens Park in front of Stevens Institute of Technology. The article says a jet black, dark, ghostly apparition did more damage than the tornado that hit the town a year prior. Parkkeeper Walker said he thought the destruction was caused by a gang of vandals. So he makes a police report. Once the police saw the damage, came out and investigated the damage, they organized a patrol in the park and kept at it for a while. But even though the damage would happen, they couldn't catch who was destroying the trees. So park keeper Walker decided to keep watch for himself as they were patrolling the other part of the park and said that one night he saw a figure in all black strip a young tree of all its branches in seconds. He yelled for the police who saw it too. They all chased the figure, but they said it disappeared straight into the night. After that incident, the ghost of Hoboken was never seen again. Now, could it be a vandal? I guess, but I, you ever try to strip a tree of its branches? That's like, you can't do that in a second. So I really don't think that was just some guy dressed all in black that just hated trees in Hoboken for some reason. I don't know. All righty, up next is another Scooby-Doo type ghost. This one was published in the Jersey City News again. And on February 10th, 1894. It was a place called Mitchell Saloon. It was a local watering hole where nearby, basically only a few blocks away, the ships would come in and the people on those ships would come to this Mitchell Saloon to drink, as you do. So the Jersey City News wrote, the first appearance of this ghost ship was made last Saturday night. All right, hold on. Kurt here. They don't mean like a ghost ship, like a pirate ship or something like that. It's some sort of old-timey slang like, you know, his lordship, but... His ghost ship. So basically they meant the first appearance of this ghost was made last Saturday night. That took me a little bit of while to figure out because I was like, they never mention a ghost ship. What the hell are you talking about? Um, they said that the ghost made an appearance in a room at the rear of James Mitchell's saloon at McAdoo and Bergen Avenues. So if you live in Jersey City, you can go to McAdoo and Bergen Avenues. There used to be an old saloon there with a ghost. The ghost is supposed to be that of August Loby, who committed suicide on Saturday afternoon by hanging himself in a woodshed at the rear of his residence on Turhoon Avenue. That's still there, too. The uh, back room was a gambling area, card games, you know, like Kenny Rogers gambler type stuff. And there was a bell there so the players could, like, ring the bell whenever they needed bar service so they can kind of close it off from the rest of the bar. On that Saturday, customers were discussing August's suicide when the bell of the back room, quote, began to ring frantically. James, knowing no one was back there, goes back there and, yeah, it's empty. There was no one back there. He knows it. Uh, he said all the windows were locked, so he goes back to the bar. 
but said he continued to feel uneasy. One of the regulars at the bar asked him what he'd seen in the back room, and as, as he was about to say there was nothing back there, he said just as James opened his mouth, a scary commotion was heard in the rear of the saloon. So this time, all of the customers rushed into the back room, where they found every chair upturned and one table still rocking violently. As soon as the last man entered the room, the chair stopped. So, a policeman named Phil McGovern was passing by the bar. He heard the commotion inside. He goes in and says, like, hey, what's the cause of the disturbance? James says, like, hey, it's Loby's ghost. And the cop said he would lock them up for the disturbance if they didn't stop fooling around. So James is like, no, no, we're not lying, I swear. Stick around and see for yourself. And the cop was like, you know what? I'll be outside keeping an eye on this bar. Just knock it off. And they said one hour later, the chairs and tables were again knocked down and tossed all over that back room. Again, everyone runs back there, including the cop. The cop confirmed that no one had ever passed by the bar while he was standing just outside. Everyone was sufficiently freaked out and left the bar that night. So James is, you know, James closes early. The next morning, James James returns and, yep, the tables and chairs were again overturned. Now, he says that everything was quiet on Sunday, though. But on Monday, quote, the ghost started in to raise hijinks. He said the chairs were upset and the bell was rung repeatedly three times throughout the day. But... That was the last time this ghost trashed the bar. The New Jersey, or sorry, the Jersey City News, though, reported on Thursday night, Mr. G. Daffeldecker declares that he saw a strange white object on Bergen Avenue near McAdoo. Mr. Daffeldecker was walking along Bergen Avenue, and the object, which had had the form of a man, seemed to be walking towards him. He asserts that it came within 20 feet of him and then suddenly disappeared as though the earth had swallowed it up. Other residents claimed they had also seen strange objects in the neighborhood, and now timid persons fear to walk there after dark. I, I don't care who you are. Any story with a guy named Daffeldecker, it deserves to be on this show. That's all I know. That's a cool fucking name. Uh, but yeah, uh, another one, like, y- you know what? How about you stop talking about the guy that sadly committed suicide? Obviously, it's him being like, hey, guys, knock it off. Or, hey, guys, I'm still here. And after a few days, he fades away, goes off into the next world, whatever you do. But that seems to be a, that seems to be the thing. Like, people often say, like, they they get messages from their loved one right after the funeral or right after the death. And then it kind of just kind of tapers off, whether they no longer have the ability to come over again. Most of them no longer have the ability to come over again. Obviously, there's some ghosts that keep doing the same thing over and over. But um, still, it's weird to read about these same kind of things written about in the 1800s and the 1900s that are still being seen or the same types of things are still being seen to this day. All righty, this next one. Um... I don't think it's the last one. I, I think I've got a couple more. Yeah, I got a couple more. So this next one is a bit more recent. It's from 2014 and written about in the local Mitchell, Indiana newspapers and on websites. We go to the West Warren Street in Mitchell, Indiana, to a beautiful Victorian home from the late late 1800s, and to its current owner, well, current as of 2014, its current owner, 
Van Rainier. That's right. His name is Van Rainier. Van said, I started hearing noises, and I had my mom on the phone until I got my ass out of there. There was no way I was going to stay here, stay in here by myself. And apparently it's not just him. Apparently this house is a known haunted house. It's nicknamed Whisper's Estate because of, you know, the disembodied voices that whisper in people's ears. Um, and they think they know who the ghost is. They think it's the former owner, Dr. John Gibbons, who they say likes to whisper in their ears and sometimes grabs and gropes them. Uh-oh, pervy ghost time. I got to get like a pervy ghost time alert alert uh, button, like a noise. Like, pervy ghost time. No. Pervy ghost time. Eh. Pervy ghost time. I don't know. I'll, I'll figure out something for pervy ghost time. Um... Van said, when you hear footsteps, you pray you're hearing the child's footsteps that we often hear. Their little pitter-patter of feet, maybe about 70 to 80 pounds. However, I'm getting tingly just thinking about this, he says. However, there's another set of footprints, footsteps, sorry, another set of footsteps that happens in this house. It's more like loud stomping. It's very heavy, very menacing, and then you feel it. Ew. Um, the other ghost they think they've identified as well, it's Rachel Gibbons, who is the adopted daughter of Dr. John the Perv and his wife, Jessie. She's believed to throw jacks in the home, roll balls in empty rooms or down the hall, and is the source of the lighter footsteps that Van hears to this day. Rachel was in this room on around Christmas Day in 1912, sneaking a peek at Christmas gifts. It's the story that, as it goes. And uh, she got too close to an open flame, knocked over the flame, and the fire ensued her. She died two days later in the upstairs bedroom. Now, I don't know, that story may be a bit embellished, but there was a fire in the house back in 1912. Apparently, it did kill a little girl. And the burn marks still remain on a pocket door between the parlor and the dining room. Boy, I hope that they put that in the Zillow ad. Uh, here's a piece directly from the article. A group of women visiting the home made a special effort to reach out to Rachel. They bought her a present, a doll. Uh, you know, that's a good thing to buy a spooky, burnt ghost girl, uh, which they left in the second floor bedroom where Rachel died. They made themselves at home and began to try and communicate with a little lost soul, it says. They called out to the 10-year-old, according to a paranormal investigator, David Heatherly, who explained that they, that the women then heard something bounce down the stairs. On the landing at the bottom of the stairs, they found the doll that they had brought for Rachel. They said it was burnt looking and it smelled freshly burned. <sighs> so yeah, Kurt here, there's nothing like a little kid ghost. They are the worst. I'm sorry that you're a little kid and you, had, you burnt to death and you died, but you're creepy as fuck. And this one's barbecues anything she touches. Have fun in your new home, obviously fake-named Van Rainier. Anyhow, back to Jersey to the 1800s. We go back to June 2nd, 1894, published in the Jersey City News, to the original Hudson County Jail, which is located at 510 Summit Avenue beside the Newkirk House, which apparently is still there to this day. At this jail, the, the Jersey City News reported how a murderer saw the ghost of his lover and his victim. It says, on the night of June 1st, 1894, jailkeeper Terwilliger 
made his usual rounds inspecting cells when he overheard wails and sobs echoing from the corridors. He follows the moans to discover they were coming from the cell of Bernard Bernhard Bernhard Altenberger. That's right, Bernhard Altenberger, the accused murderer of Katie Rupp. It was also written about in the New York Times around the same time. They wrote that Bernhard was 22 years old with a boyish disposition. He had courted Katie in Rome, New York, and won her love. Promising to marry her, he, quote, borrowed all her money that she had saved. Ladies, don't do this. Don't, look, don't ever date a guy named Bernhard, and if he wants to borrow all of your money so he can marry you, he could suck a bag of dicks. Anyhow, it's 1894. They didn't suck bag of dicks back then, I assume. So he convinced her that marriage in Jersey City would be best, and they took up a room on York Street telling the landlady they intended to be married before that very evening. Bernhard then convinced, confessed at his trial. He had not intended on killing Katie, but realized he could not support a family. Okay, dickhole, there are other options besides murder. You could just, I don't know, leave her? You already stole her money. You're already an a-hole. Anyhow, the two were walking along Snake, Snake Hill in present-day Secaucus when Bernhard shot her. Now, Katie was found mortally wounded the following day and was taken to the Jersey City Hospital. There, she survived just long enough to give the information upon which Bernhard was arrested and, quote, condemned. Good. All right, back to the a-hole. Uh, Bernhard's in his cell on the night of June 1st, 1894. The article says Bernhard looked, quote, in great distress, sobbing violently and trembling upon the jail cell floor. A wild stare gleamed from his eye as he crouched down in the corner of the stone cell. Keeper Terwilliger asked what was wrong. Oh, I have seen her. Katie has been here, he says. And he threw himself further back in the corner, turning an appealing face, quote, towards the keeper. It says, she came right up to me and oh, how she looked. There was blood on her neck and face and she put one hand on her breast as if in pain. Kurt here, yeah, you shot and killed her, fuckwad. It goes on to say her face was pale and her eyes looked at me in a sorrowful manner. I did not say a word. I could not, for my tongue seemed to be glued to the roof of my mouth. But I watched every move she made. How she got in the cell, I don't know. But when I first saw her, she was standing near my bunk and she was looking at me with such a sad and reproachful expression. I tried to say something, but the effort failed me. It seemed to me that Katie stood looking at me a long time. And when finally she did remove her gaze from my face, she glanced about the cell and solemnly pointed her finger towards a wall where I saw in letters of fire the words justice. I tried to cry out but couldn't, and Katie, with one more reproachful look at me, faded from view. It was then that I cried out. Then there's a bunch in the article about him being a scared little fuckwad and repentful, but fuck that. Let's skip to the end. Bernhard was hanged in the Hudson County Jail at 10.04 a.m. September 6, 1894, under the direction of Reverend Meary, who attended him to the scaffold. Good. F that guy. Uh, you know what? Yeah, we passed an hour. Let's end it there. There's, there's, there's plenty more. I love these old-timey ghost stories. I mean, a ton more. Um, but for right now, that's a good spot to stop. We got some asshole that got some justice for being an asshole, and, uh, she got to scare the shit out of him, you know, before he got hanged. So I'll call that a good win. Uh, what do you think? You guys like these ones? I do. I really like old timey or not. I mean, there were some, you know, fairly recent ones. 
But I like newspaper ghost stories because, again, it gives it a little bit more gravitas. If someone's writing about it, it's more than just someone's, like, yarn around a campfire. You know what I mean? Anyhow, I hope you guys like this one. Once again, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig. This has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. Rain and nasty, manly, rum. Yeah.